uh, but I just wanted to begin tonight a couple ways. Uh, one is, I, uh, let's, say, let's say a prayer first. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, wow, you all caught quiet really quickly. There's this word called amen. Sometimes we say it out loud. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs> Thanks, amen. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory. Thank you so much for bringing us here to this place. Thank you for every man who's in this room right now. I ask you to please, um, Lord God, send your, your spirit of truth, send your spirit of courage, send your spirit of power and of love and of self-control into their hearts right now. Lord God, we, we know that every one of us is coming from a different place. And you know where we come from, you know where we are going, you know where we are right now. And we ask you to please help us to be where we are. Help us to be where our feet are right now. Help us to be uh, in a place right now where we're just open to taking this next step, whatever it is to say yes to you, um, no matter who we are or where we are, Lord God, help us to say yes to you in this moment. Help us to be where our feet are. Help us to be in this place. Help us to be present to you and help us to say yes to you with everything we have. We make this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. There we go, guys. Um, the second thing I wanted to, I wanted to say, I just want to, I want to thank you all for being here. One of the things um, I was mentioning, if you were in the other, other room, is I just, I know, here's a Wednesday night, it's eight o'clock or whatever time it is right now, um, and you probably, everyone, I know this, not probably, I know everyone has at least two other, two dozen, you have a thousand places you could be. Like you have a thousand places you could be tonight rather than right here. And the fact that you are here right now, I'm just really grateful for taking that time. I hope I don't want to, I don't want to waste your time at all, but I do want to say thank you because, um, yeah, you don't have to be here. And, but you are here. And I, th I think that that, I think that means a lot. I think it means maybe more than, um, well, it means more than I can communicate. Uh, so just thanks for being here. I w you know, talking, uh, getting ready for tonight and just kind of trying to figure out like, what is it that you want to share with the guys? What is it? that when you talk about, because we want to talk about manhood, um, a lot of times when we get the guys together, I don't know if you've had this experience, when we get the guys together, it's like, okay, we guys, we're gonna talk about sex or whatever, talk about purity, talk about whatever. And like, that's a part of it, but that's not the only thing that are, is, is of interest to the men. And so it was kind of one of those, like, how do you even know? That's, maybe that's a question. Um, how do you even know, uh, what's that, like a mark of manhood? Because here, we are in, a, in this unique place where it's like, okay, so I'm not, um, not a boy, but am I, am I my dad yet? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, Britney Spears had a song of the girl version. You, you don't know this, dang it, that would have been funnier if you were from, born in the 90s. Um, <laughs> she had a song called, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Okay, so, um, but this thing, that you're, there's a piece that I like, how do you know that you've become a man? Like, how do you know that you're no longer a boy and you become a man? Because we know this in our culture. We don't like, actually have a, an actual rite of passage for that. I mean, there are, some, there are some cultures that have a rite of passage for here's how you know you're a man. In fact, um, I was reading recently in a, a book by a man named Michael Easter. It was describing there is a tribe in Africa where in, you, you become, I think, 13 or maybe 14 years old. They might wait till you're 14, but at least 13 or 14 years old, the way you become a man is you take a stick, you go into the bush, and you either kill a lion or you die. That's it, that's how you know. If you make it back and you've killed a lion, you take the lion with you, then you now are now a man in that tribe. You're now a man among the people. In fact, your mom even treats you differently from when you leave, and when you come back having killed a lion, she treats you differently. You're, you're now a man. Um, 
And even that, even just that recognition of like, imagine your mom and dad saying, okay, you're 13. What do you guys got, coyotes? I mean, you got something, some kind of, you come back with an armadillo. <laughs> but can you imagine being a, I mean, imagine being a 13 year old and saying, okay, here's what you need to do. If you want to be a man in our community is take this stick and don't come back unless you have killed a lion on your own. That would be, I imagine, I imagine if you did that, you'd be like, yeah, I am a man. <laughs> so you would never wonder after that, like, are you sure? Like, no, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. That lion, hanging, that head hanging above my bed. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm a, I'm a man. But we don't, we don't have that. And so sometimes we have this sense of like, um, so, I mean, if you try, if we try to say this is the rite of passage, or this is the marker for being a man, we don't, maybe giving your driver's license, we know that's not real. That's, your driver, getting your driver's license does not make you a man. Um, because it's, well, A, you're 16, B, no. Um, C, um, maybe it's like we turn 18. Okay, now you're an adult, you can now vote, you can buy a little scratchy tickets, um, you can go to the casino, you can, I don't know if you can smoke. I think, yeah, Minnesota just moved up to 21 too. Wow, apparently. A lot, of, a lot of wannabe chimneys here. So, um, the, uh, so, so maybe, maybe, that, maybe that next step is maybe 21. Now you're 21, you can drink, apparently you can smoke. Uh, um. Oh, I see. I thought you were like, I thought you were saying boo to the law or boo to the smoking? <laughs> okay, every... <laughs> I don't know what to say. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so maybe, it's, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe when you go to college, you become a man again, maybe, maybe it's like, so I remember, I mean, when I was first on campus up at, in Duluth and re realizing I'm working with these men who are, you know, 18 years old to 22, 23 years old. And sometimes I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, like years ago, men your exact age were getting on these transports and going across the ocean, the English Channel, to storm the beach at Normandy. And they, they, they've, made, they've made movies about men your age laying down their lives for their brothers. They, they, they've, they've written stories. In fact, we love these stories. We, we love these, these, these movies, we, these tales of actual just, I mean, Stephen Ambrose wrote this book called Citizen Soldier. And the reason he called it Citizen Soldier is because these are just normal human beings, normal guys who said, okay, my country's calling, I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna do this thing. And so I realized, okay, it's not even an age thing. Like, what is it, what is it about, what can I do that would mean like, okay, now, now, I'm, now I'm a man. Because it can't be an age thing because there are people who are way younger than me, maybe way younger than y'all, who will say that's a man, but there's also way pe people older than us. We say, yeah, they're, they're, not, a, they're not the man. They're, they're, they're an old boy. So what's one of the markers? I think, I think this, okay, looking at these guys going, to, it's, not, it's not a matter of going to battle. That's not the part that, was, that made them a man. I think it was something different. I think maybe the one of the first markers of manhood is a willingness to take responsibility. Like, it's really simple. That's it. One of the markers of manhood is a willingness to, willingness to take responsibility. Um, that's the first mark. That, that's because we think about, if we think about it, um, someone says, you know, I knew I was a man when I got married. Why? 
because I was willing in that moment to take responsibility, not just take responsibility for my promise, not just take responsibility for my vow, but the next marker, the next, the next step for a man to be a man will be, I'm willing to not only take responsibility for myself, I'm willing to take, to take responsibility for someone else. How many, how many of us, if we had the opportunity, if we had the option, if you want to be responsible for yourself and for someone else, we'd say, actually, I'd rather not. In fact, one of the things we'll say this, um, I'll talk to couples all the time, and, and it depends on how, how deep they're into the relationship where this, this comes up and whether they kind of like it or they absolutely hate it. And here's the thing, every, every man, every man's big temptation, there's a lot, a lot of temptations, but what every man's big temptation is, especially in a relationship, is towards passivity. Every man's temptation in a relationship is towards passivity. And every woman's temptation in a relationship is towards control. So think about this. I'm going through marriage prep with all these couples. And this is a common conversation. If you've gone through marriage prep, or if, you, if you're married, if you've done this kind of thing, you know this is, this is gonna the case. E either was the case or was the temptation to be the case. Where it's what? It's, um, yeah, honey, I wanna, guys, I, honey, I wanna help you. Um, you're planning the wedding, whatever I can do. And she says, well, what do you think about this? And you say, whatever you want. And she says, okay, she has her own binder and she has all like the here's, the, here's the cake binder, here's the frosting binder, here's the dessert binder, here's the, I mean, everything is all these binders because why? She wants to get everything just perfect. And the guy is like, I have to get the measurements of my groomsmen. That's it. I don't know how many times, how many times they're sitting there and, and, and the bride is saying, he has one thing. He literally has one thing. He just has to get his measurement of his groomsmen, and he won't call them, and he doesn't do this. And he's like, I know, but it's just so much stuff. And meanwhile, she in the, is doing everything else. And because one of the things that every woman is tempted to is towards taking to control. And everything, the one thing men are tempted to is being passive, tempted towards passivity. And again, this is great. When, it, when a couple starts out a marriage, and not just, not just during the marriage prep, but actually in their marriage, this is ideal. This is ideal for both of them. Why? Because... She gets to design the house exactly how she's always wanted to design the house. She gets to make their bed in exactly the way she wanted to always make their bed. That's why there's all these pillows on top of this bed. There's all these, like, we don't need all these pillows, but that's how she's always wanted them. And he's like, yeah, whatever, go ahead. That's wonderful. And, and so that's why you have even like the honey-do list. You've all heard of the honey-do list. The honey-do list is all that she thought up. She went, did the work. Here's all the things that we have to have done in the apartment, all the things we have to have done in the house, all the things we have to have done. And she makes the whole list and she says, okay, honey, do this list. That reality, and he's like, great, I'll just, I'll take care of these things. Because her temptation is towards control, his temptation is towards passivity. And again, let me say this one more time, it works out super well until it doesn't. Because at some point, she starts saying, why doesn't he fill in the blank? Why won't he actually ever fill in the blank? Why doesn't he take initiative? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't, why doesn't he, why do I have to be the one who always fill in the blank? So it worked out really, really well when she wanted control. And for the guy, it works out really, really well because I just get to be passive. I get to kind of sit there and just let it all happen until, you know, I'm not even, I'm a stranger in my own house. I get told what to do in my own house. I don't even have any say in my own house. I can't believe it. I just do everything she says. I don't even have any influence at my own house. See, it worked out really, really well to him to give in to that temptation towards passivity. It really worked out really, really well for her to give in to that temptation towards control until all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. So the solution for every man is going to be this. Going back to what it is to be a man. The solution to every man is this. 
This is gonna be something you're gonna experience. If you haven't already experienced this in your life, you're going to at some point, I promise you. We're gonna to have to reject, reject passivity and embrace responsibility. Have to. If you're gonna be actually the man that God has wants you to be, has called you to be, we have to. We all know we have this. And now, you might say, Father, you don't understand. I'm type A, I get things done. Like, I get it. You, I, I believe you. I believe you do that in some areas. The areas that matter to you. But when it comes to taking responsibility, not just for yourself, but for someone else, our temptation is passivity. So reject passivity and embrace responsibility is one of the first markers of what it is to be a man. And again, let me reiterate this. Not just I'm taking responsibility for myself, because I'm really good at that. Like at some point, I remember, um, so I, I, I might have mentioned this at Mass or somewhere, uh, I'm the director of youth ministry for our diocese, as well as the chaplain at our university. And so we'll take trips, we'll, like, we'll take trips uh, with high schoolers, take trips with college students, and I, <laughs> uh, for years, I would show up and I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready. And I would pack, I'd, I'd be like the lightest packer in the world. And sometimes guys, we love being you know, like, like minimalist, minimalist packer, like, nope, pack fast and light. I can move fast and light. It's really, really great. It's awesome. But if anyone ever needed anything, I don't have, I don't, sorry, I literally only have enough for myself. And even then, it's just barely enough for myself. Versus, I mean, think about, again, on the other end of control, think about what's in a mom's purse. <laughs> like everything. <laughs> just in case. Now, that, again, it might be overboard, it might be a little bit too much, it might be, you know, extreme, but what's the motive behind that? Well, the motive behind that is control, but ultimately, the heart of it, in the good way, that's transformed, the heart of it is, there's going to be someone who needs me. There's someone who, that I need to take care of. There's someone that I'm, I'm going to take responsibility for, and so when it comes to packing my stuff, I'm not just thinking about me and my stuff. Because this is, you might already be at this level, you, and this is one of the things, I have no idea, I have no idea, but you might already be at this level where you already take responsibility for yourself. Like actually, that might be a strong suit that you have. And that's awesome, that's great, because that means you're on your way, you're going there. But when it comes to, yeah, the guys I live with, they gotta fend for themselves. Okay. Is there a degree to which you can start exercising responsibility, exercising your manhood, masculinity, by beginning to, in some ways, taking responsibility for brothers. In some ways, just even just kind of, just even just in some way, watching out for them. I remember uh, years ago, we, we, we have on campus, we have uh, women's households and men's households. So we first started having these households. It was, it was, I learned so much about the difference between men and women by, because I would visit these households multiple times a week. We'd have meals and everything together. And just the way in which the girls and the guys would relate to each other was just so different. It was crazy. Like, I remember um, the, uh, the girls, we had a holy hour every morning at 6.45. So it was really early holy hour. And so all the people in the household, they were committed, like, no, but if we have in the household, we're going to go to the holy hour. And, uh, and so the girls, how they would relate to each other. They would say, like, you know, here's, I don't know, the girl, girl A says to girl B, like, hey, tomorrow morning, I really, really want to make it to holy hour, so if I'm not up, um, wake me up. I really want to make it to holy hour. So if I'm, if I'm not up, knock on my door and wake me up. And like, okay, sure, no problem. The next morning, she's not up, and so the friend, person B, girl B, is like just gently knocking on the door, like, 
Hey, girl A, you said you wanted to get up for holy hour. Meanwhile, she's like, stop judging me. I didn't want to go. I was up late last night studying. And this whole kind of thing of like this, you couldn't correct one. You couldn't correct one another. You couldn't say one word versus the guys. The guy says, hey, tomorrow morning I want to make it to holy hour. So if I'm not up, wake me up. Not up. Pounding on the door. Get up, loser. <laughs> you're lazy and you're stupid. And if you don't get up, you're going to hell. Like this kind of... Shut up! I want to sleep. If you're asleep, you're going to sleep in flames, bro. You know, kind of like <laughs> this whole thing. But, and then, then it'd be over. Then it'd be done. Versus the girls would be like, they'd be talking about that one knocking on the door for the next three weeks. Like, she knocked on the door and I felt really badly because she was judging me. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, <laughs> one of the things these guys would do, the girls were great. The girls were amazing when it came to doing their chores. And when it came to like saying, okay, this is the responsibility I have for today, for this week, so I'm gonna take care of that. The guys, oh, I remember, the, 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 we had this man, his name's Adam. He was the first one there. And um, he, he at one point, I appreciate that, thank you. Um, I didn't know if it was gonna work, but his name really, so he was so frustrated with the guys he was living with, at one point, he made a PowerPoint where he had, he had gone through the house and taken pictures of like, Dirty dishes in the sink, backpack in the middle of the living room, a jacket thrown on the kitchen table, like just, okay, on Monday, the 18th, next slide, this is what's in the dishes, you know, by Wednesday, the 20th, the same dishes are still there, like, and I thought, this is how dumb I was, this is like the first year we had this, I'm like, wow, Adam, that's really smart, the guys hated him, they were just like, <laughs> Even talk about it now, this was almost, this is 18 years ago. They talk about it now, so like, remember that time Adam made that PowerPoint? I'm like, yeah, I still think it was a good idea. I don't know, because there's proof. Anyways, back to our story. There's a guy named Mike, and Michael, and Michael was in that same household. And at one point, this is his senior year, and, uh, and Michael, so, you know when you move in with people, and people like, you ask each other, hey, do you like it clean? They're like, yeah, I like it clean. And then you're like, yeah, we like it clean, so let's just keep the place clean. And then you discover that you have different definitions of what clean means. Um, so these were all these, I think four, four out of six of them were all engineers. Um, Michael was an engineer, and yeah. And, and so he, he was the most engineery of the engineers, um, if you know what I mean, and I know you do. Um, <laughs> but at one point, Michael, uh, he was so frustrated. He's a senior, he's, I think it was his spring semester of his senior year, and the dishes were, again, undone. They were not done. And he, he said, I was just thinking like, man, I, how do I teach them a lesson? How do I teach them a lesson to not leave their dirty dishes in the sink? And he stopped, and I thought this is really remarkable. He shared this with me. I was in marriage prep with Michael and his fiance at that time, Lisa, um, she's now his wife. I don't want to give away the ending, but, um, but he, he he was so mad and he was like, I'm gonna teach him a lesson. And then he stopped and he said, wait a second. In however many months, in six months, I'm gonna marry Lisa. And if she doesn't do her dishes, what am I gonna do? Like, am I gonna teach her a lesson? Like, he's a, he has, and they, he's a, this, that's the attitude I have. Like, right now my attitude is, these guys aren't, these brothers of mine, I call them brothers. Like, we live in the same household, we call each other brothers. But my brothers aren't doing their dishes and I, I want to teach them a lesson. But if my wife doesn't do her dishes, I'm not gonna teach her a lesson, I'm just gonna do her dishes. And he said, so that's, gonna, that's what I'm gonna do. He says, when my, when my brother's here in this house, if I, if I can be the kind of man who I can actually do my brother's dishes, then I'll be the kind of man who I can do my wife's dishes. Because she's way cuter than them. 
And I, and I, it'll be so much easier. But that's that sense of like, he, he grew in that area of saying like, here's what I want to do. I want to reject that passivity or even that vengeance. And I just want to embrace responsibility because I can take responsibility for myself and that's good. But to be able to take responsibility for the men around you, that's even better. Because again, if you're not in a romantic relationship right now, there's still training. Just like Michael was like, I'm training. Someday, this is the kind of husband, this is the kind of father that I want to be. The remarkable thing is, that wasn't the only thing Michael did. That, was the only th that wasn't the only thing he ever did to become that kind of man. Right now, he and Lisa, I think they have six kids. Um, and they are, and the, yeah, amazing. And these kids are just joyful. These kids are like rooted in faith. Um, they're so happy. One of the reasons they're happy is because their dad loves their mom really, really well. I, I, I tell you right now, I mean, there could be good kids no matter what, but one of the reasons why they're happy is because their dad loves their mom really, really well. And their mom respects their father their, so, so well. Their mom respects their dad so, so deeply, so profoundly. Because this is what, this is what the heart of every man wants. There's a book, it's called, the, the, the author is Emerson Egerix. Emerson Egerix wrote this book called Love and Respect. And in, in the book, I mean, has anyone ever heard of this book? Okay, a couple of people. Um, so the thesis of this book is, is that um, while everyone, male and female, we both want love and respect. If you ever, ever like push a wife or push a husband to say, which one do you want more? Again, while everyone, every male, every female wants love and respect, the thesis of this book is that if you push, um, a man would rather be respected by his wife than loved and a woman would rather be loved by her husband than respected. Now, again, we all want both, and this is really broad strokes, right? You're, gonna, you're always gonna have the person who's like, no, I'm the other, and that's fine, that's completely fine. But generally speaking, men would rather be respected by their, if they had a choice, respected by their wives than loved, and wives would be rather loved by their husbands than respected. And whenever I talk about this with, with couples that are getting ready to get married, almost always, <laughs> the, the guy's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the girl's like, but, but I love you. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, and it's really good that you love him. That's really wonderful. But so does his mom. <laughs> and he doesn't want to marry his mom. <laughs> I mean, because that, but that's, that's the thing. I mean, guys, you probably, you might know this already. And I, I, we, we, we kind of play this out. This recognition that so powerfully, every man Mentioned again, the temptation is towards passivity, but there's, a, there's also another thing. There's a lie that comes against the heart of every man. Like ever since the fall, ever since the Garden of Eden, there's one lie that comes against the heart of every man, there's one lie that comes against the heart of every woman. The lie that comes against the heart of every woman is you are not worth loving as you are. You're not worth loving as you are. Now, you might have women who were raised well. I mean, women who were raised in the faith, women who were raised in great families. And still, the lie that comes against their hearts is you're not worth loving as you are now. Again, they might say, oh, I know I'm worth loving. I know I'm worth loving. But if you ever kind of press a little bit, the lie that's attacked their hearts is I know I'm worth loving now, but, but, if I was just a little more er, prettier, skinnier, funnier, 
smarter, whatever that er is. I, I know I'm worth loving now, but if I was just a little more er, whatever that thing is, then I'd be just a little bit more worth loving. And so almost everything, I don't want to make such broad strokes, but so many things that women do are an effort to try to stifle that lie that comes against their hearts that says you're not worth loving as you are right now. The hard thing about this one is that if you realize that your mom, that's, 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 a, that's a lie that's coming against your mom's heart. You can probably see it coming against your sister's hearts if you have sisters. That's also a lie that's coming against your grandma's heart. To realize that your grandma, ever since she was a little girl, this lie is, is coming against her heart that says, you're not worth loving as you are now. We can see this be manifest in so many ways because there's this deep desire. Of course, it's an incredible desire. We all have to be loved. But it gets twisted even more. No, the guy's one. The, guy, the lie that comes against every guy's heart is you don't have what it takes. You're not a man. You're not competent. This is a lie that comes against every guy's heart. That they're a man. I mean, and this is one of the things where you just kind of have to use some examples of like, how can you say this? Or, because so much of what we do, so much, so much of what we do as men is an attempt to, to silence that lie or to prove that lie is not true. And I would say like, I mean, for crying, crying out loud, um, you have a, I'll go into some parishes or just even any, any parking lot and you pull up next to the, park next to the, I don't know, Ferrari, or next to the, the Lexus. I mean, the difference between a Lexus and a Honda, I mean, one is better than the other, but like, they both get you from point A to point B. Why the Lexus though? Because I'm trying to say something. I'm trying to say, I, I made it. I'm trying to say, I have what it takes. I'm trying to say, I'm the kind of guy who can drive this kind of car. And it doesn't have to be like a sports car. It doesn't have to be a fancy car. Sometimes they may be down here. It's something. Maybe it's, it's like, um, no, it's, it's not. Are you kidding me, Father? We don't drive. We drive trucks. We drive trucks down here. So I drive a truck. And, and sometimes it's like, no, I drive the Ford F750. It's got three wheels side by side in the back. And, and maybe, it's, you know, a full, like, you know, extended cab, all the stuff, you know, five ton pickup, whatever. Like maybe, it's, maybe it's the souped up truck, but maybe you're like, no, 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 are you kidding me? Those, those are posers. The working man's truck, that's the kind of truck I drive. Because yeah, anyone can go buy a truck. That, that truck doesn't have any dirt on it. That's not what men drive. I drive this beater truck that is just like, cause why, because I work. Why? Because men work. And that's one of the things that, that happens to us, right? We just, I mean, and again, that's what I'm saying. It could be, it could be the Lexus, you're like, that doesn't relate to me. It could be the truck, no, no. Or even just the kind of job you have. Why, why are you pursuing the kind of job that you're pursuing? Why are you pursuing the kind of career that you're pursuing? It could be just because, like, no, I'm interested in this, and I think it seems fascinating. It could be because if I do well in this area, then, then, then I've, I've proven that lie wrong. That if I can achieve something, then that means that I actually do have what it takes. I love sports. I think sports is awesome. I think, I think there are so many lessons we can learn from sports. I think camaraderie in sports. I think discipline in sports. I think, I think the, <laughs> learning how to lose is one of the best things you can teach a kid. Learning how to lose well is, is amazing. 
But we all know there's people who are like, the reason why I know I have what it takes, I'm competent, is because I do well athletically. Or I do well with the ladies. That's how I know I'm a man. I have what it takes because I can sleep with whoever I want. All right, go down the list. There's so many things that guys, and again, it's, if I haven't li listed yours, <laughs> if you're like, you haven't named mine, Father, you don't know me, I'm like, you're okay, fine. <laughs> but I do know this. I do know that so much of our time and energy is spent trying to kill that lie that says you don't have what it takes. You're not competent. You're not a man. Therefore, I will say this. There are only two people in this world who have... There are two people in this world who have the ability to, to stifle that lie in a, in a powerful way. The lie that comes every, come against every man, when his father looks at him and says, I know you and you have what it takes. I don't know if any of you have a dad who has said, I'm proud of you. You're a man to me. You're competent. Another way to say it is, I trust you. I was talking to a, a guy, he was a pastor up in Duluth, a Protestant pastor, and he was, he was leading this extended mission trip. And uh, on the mission trip were a bunch of adults, and one of the adults on the mission trip was his own father. And he said it was the most unique experience in my, in my entire life. Because we went into some really seriously sketchy areas, really seriously sketchy situations. And I had my dad looking to me to say, saying, Ryan, what should we do next? Ryan, everyone's freaking out. We're in a place of trouble. What, should, what, what do you want me to do? What should we do next? I remember as he's telling me this, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was that like? Like just like to have your dad saying, okay, we're in an emergency, emergency situation. What do you want me to do? I'm willing to take my lead from you. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience. But I got to tell you, if you have that kind of experience, I imagine you'd feel 12 feet tall. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's one person who can, who can kill that lie, and that's your father. The other person who can kill that lie is your wife. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm talking to these couples, and, and the guy's like, wow, yes, when I know she respects me, I just, there's, I, I feel so good. There's just like, it's not like, it's not like, it's not in the, like the Lifetime Movie of the Week version, like, you will respect my authority kind of thing. That's not that. But like, but that sense of just like, when she looks at him and says, like, you, I love you. Not just I love you, I trust you. I can count on you. You have what it takes. In those moments, it's just like, okay, that, that lie gets shrunk down, gets destroyed. Same thing is true when it comes to a woman and says, I know some of you are or will be fathers. There is no one who can kill that lie in a woman's heart like her dad. That every, every girl, every woman has that lie that says, you're not worth loving as you are right now. There's no one who can kill that lie like her father. Because why? Many reasons. But one is you represent the world. Mom represents home, right? In so many ways in like kind of a Western framework. Um, mom rep represents home, represents safety. Dad represents danger. Dad represents stranger. Dad represents the world out there. And when dad looks at his daughter, when you look at your daughter someday and say you are worth loving right now as you are, 
that lie just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You can crush, you have the ability as a father to crush that lie. Just like in the future, God willing, if you have, if you have sons, you have the ability to crush that lie in a son's heart that says he doesn't have what it takes. And the only other person who can crush that lie in a woman's heart is her husband in that same way. Her husband who says, listen, I, that's one of the reasons why, gosh, it comes up all, all the time in, um, in marriage prep, where at some point, you know, maybe in this, these last few months leading up to the wedding, the, the man is finally really vulnerable, finally completely honest, and finally might even tell his, his future wife, okay, so here's the degree to which I struggle with pornography. I remember so many couples who have been in that situation, like we actually, sometimes it's happened like this. I have marriage preps on Sunday afternoons, um, almost all the time. Just, that's like Sunday afternoons for marriage prep. I've had it where I've had a meeting with a couple in like at noon or at one o'clock for marriage prep, and then five o'clock, they're like, we have to talk. I'm like, how come? He just told me something. I'm like, I think I know what he told you. Um, but it hurts their hearts so much, not just because of the infidelity that comes along with pornography, not just the infidelity that comes along with, with all those kind of things, but because what's the main lie that's come against her heart? I'm not worth loving as I am right now. And then my, this man that I'm going to covenant my life to, I'm going to give my life to, he's demonstrated, he's proven it. I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not worth loving as I am because he wants someone who looks like that. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, that's gross. I can't believe you watch that. I can't believe you look at that. It's a matter of every lie that's ever hit my heart since I was however many years old, you just proved it was all true. When you clicked on that thing. Again, it's not just about the sin of pornography. It's about my bride's heart. See, all this comes back, right? So, so that's one of the reasons why here's this love and this respect. It comes back to this responsibility. Why? Because here we are right now as, as men saying, okay, I want to be a man. Like I want to genuinely, not just be a man in age, not just be a man um, in my genetics. I want to be the kind, of, the kind of man who my bride will be able to trust. That I never, she never has to wonder, is she worth loving as she is? Well, that's her issue. She has to deal with that. Yeah, but what does a man do? takes responsibility for himself and for those who are near him. And one of the things that can mean right now for all of us is because of that, whatever my relationship is with porn, whatever my relationship is with, with, my, with my broken sexuality, because we all have broken sexualities, I mean, that's just how it is as human beings. We're, 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 we're given, we're made sexual, and then the fall, everything got broke. That's one of the things that got broke. So here we are. But I, can I take responsibility for that? So that maybe even your bride that you've never even met yet. That when you look at her and say, listen, you are worth loving as you are right now, she actually can believe you. Why? Because you took responsibility for her before you even met her. That's something I, I keep coming back to so often, both in good and bad. We're talking with couples and there's, I remember talking with this one, this one couple, they, it was, we had a meeting at one, then we had a meeting at five. <laughs> but this one was because uh, after we had met, they went back and said, okay, let's talk about um, where we failed with other people when it comes to sex. And the bride had, had, she had a lot of opportunities, but she was like, no, I'm my, my husband, I'm going to save myself from my husband. The groom had many opportunities and he used, took them. And so in that afternoon, they talked about all those. And she was crushed. 
she wasn't just crushed because like, oh, you had sex with some people other than me. It wasn't just that. It was this, it was, it was, Before I met you, I was trusting that you were going to fight for this as much as I'm fighting for this. Before we met each other, I thought you would be the kind of man who would be fighting for us even before we met. I thought, you'd, I, I thought you would protect me even before you met me. And she wasn't accusing him. She was just hurt, right? Does that make sense? It wasn't like she was like, she wasn't being mean about it. She was just hurt. And so was he. Because when she, he, heard her, he heard her say that, he said, that's exactly true. I should have fought for you before I met you. I should have defended you before I met you. I should have loved you even before I met you. But he said, I didn't believe you'd be out there. I thought you'd be doing the same thing I was doing and we just figured it out when we met. But that's one of these great markers of masculinity, markers of manhood, is I'm willing to take responsibility for myself. I'm willing to take responsibility for the other people and even that sense of I'm even willing to take responsibility for someone I, have, I might not have even met yet. This is the last thing, because uh, there's a big Q&A and I don't want to go too, too long in this. Um, if there's any like, follow-up kind of things, uh, I just wanted to briefly talk about this. Um, there's this man, he's worked with Army Special Forces for a long years. He taught at the, uh, at, um, the, uh, the Army One College. Yes, the one. You guys are, you guys, oh yeah, you don't like him? Okay, yeah, but, but we like the military though. Go, go military. Uh, but, <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> He's out of West Point. He, he wrote a book. He wrote a book called Lead Yourself First. He's a, he, he, he's a man who has, he has led so many men in some of the most devastating and dangerous places around the world. Again, taught in one of the most dangerous places in the world, West Point. Um, I remember, actually, pause on this one. Uh, speaking of West Point, um, so what is West Point, Annapolis, uh, US Navy, that's the Naval Academy, the Air Force Academy. And, yeah, you guys, yeah, you guys started as military academy, right? Here, university. Um, so, so there was a, I had a, I had a seminary professor once who said that they were, he said, yeah, there's, there, I read in the newspaper that they were starting these peacekeeping universities, like these peace universities. And he's like, what are these, they're going to study peace. And he said, we already have peace universities. That's West Point and Annapolis and Air Force Academy, because that's, that's what it is sometimes. Um, in a broken world, back to our story, what were we talking about? This guy, he wrote a book called Lead Yourself First. You know, Aristotle, he once said this. Aristotle talking about self-mastery. Aristotle talking about what it is to actually be that man who takes responsibility for himself. He said this, he said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. I count him braver who conquers his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is over self. And this is one of the things we just need to, need to realize. I count him braver, he who conquers himself, his desires, than one who conquers his enemies, because the hardest victory is over oneself. The great news in this is when it comes to being a man, you actually get to start right now. Regardless of your past, 
regardless of right now, even if you're sitting here, think, sitting here thinking like, I'm in the middle of sin. Like, I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of my brokenness. Like, yeah, but take responsibility. You know, you know how Catholics take responsibility for their brokenness? What's one of the ways take, Catholics take responsibility for their choices? Exactly. You go to confession. I mean, what an incredible way to exercise our responsibility, saying that I did that. You know, also, you know what we do after confession? We have a thing called um, our penance. But you, we know this. We know that there's such a thing as restitution, a reparation, that, that if I've taken something from someone, I can go get forgiven, but also I'm, I'm obligated to pay, back, pay that back. I'm obligated to actually do something. Like, I cost you something. I'm actually supposed to do, make some effort to pay that person back. Why, what am I doing there? I'm taking responsibility for myself. That, that, that learning to lead yourself first can, does it, it will take a lot. It'll take a lifetime, but it takes no time to start. To do that well will take a lifetime. But it takes no time to start. It simply means, tonight, how will I take responsibility for myself? And it starts so simply. As I said, this is the last thing. It starts so simply. You know that, that, uh, that admiral, that naval admiral who gave that, like, the viral yes. speech? And what is his first rule? Make your bed every morning. You're like, oh, that's lame. But how many of you made your bed this morning? How many of us didn't? We don't have to raise your hand. Okay, there we go. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, there is something about this. There's also something about, you know, it's so crazy. There's something about, uh, there's this woman um, I knew named Anastasia. And Anastasia, she was, she was getting older. I mean, she's growing up, becoming uh, a young woman. And she'd asked her father, she said, Dad, how do I know whether a man's like, what kind of man should I marry? How do I know if a man's like the kind of man I should entrust with my heart? And you think, wow, if you're a father and your daughter asks you, Dad, like, how do I know? Like, what kind of man can I trust with my heart? And Anastasia said, my dad looked at me and she, he said so simply, he just said, find a man who can fast. Didn't say find a perfect man, man who never fails. Man who does all these things. Man, find a man who prays the rosary every day or goes to mass every day, although those are good things. Just find a man who can fast. Because if a man can fast, he can say no to himself. If a man can fast, he, can has, he has some degree of self-mastery. If a man can fast, that means he's interested, he's interested, at least in exercising this ability to conquer his fallen nature. Because if he can say no to his hunger for the Lord, he can say no to unfaithfulness for you. He can say no to selfishness for you. He can say no to passivity out of love for you. The very last thing is this. I think, um, gosh, I have so much more to say, you guys. One of the things, spit it out. <laughs> One of the things that men struggle with is so simple, but it, and it sounds so stupid. We had a psychologist come to the Diocese of Duluth and talk to all the priests and deacons. And he said, you know, the thing that grown men struggle with is the thing that our parents had to tell us to do when we were growing up. Feed ourselves well and put ourselves to bed. 
I don't know if this happened to you, but yeah, I haven't eaten a good meal because my mom's not around. Or I want to go to bed at this time, but oh, who knows? Staying up till all hours. I remember talking with some husbands and they said, yeah, I didn't realize that my, my, my wife went away for a long weekend. She went away for like a week. And I, Domino's pizza, <laughs> slept on the couch, felt miserable the entire week. And I was like, okay, it's not just priests. Okay, that's good, that's good. <laughs> but there's something about this taking responsibility and saying, you know, like making your bed, sure, fine, whatever. But to say, okay, I'm a man who can fast, but I'm also a man who can feed myself. Man who can fast, sure, but can I put myself to bed at a reasonable hour and just say, I've decided I'm going to go to bed now and just go to bed instead of like, I'm going to go to bed with my phone and let's just keep swiping. I just, here's my invitation. If you think that that is lame, like how are you, are you kidding me? You can't, you, there are guys who actually struggle with this. They can't feed themselves well or put themselves to bed on time. Here's my invitation. Tonight, pick a bedtime and stick to it. Before you leave this room, pick a bedtime and stick to it. And then tell me tomorrow how lame that is. <laughs> because this is the beginning. This is the beginning of saying, I want to be that kind of man. But I don't, take, I, don't, I don't just take responsibility for myself. I take responsibility for the people around me. So there's more, I think there's a lot of questions. So I, wanna, I don't want to waste any time. Let's dive in if that's okay.